You know, I think that pretty much all of you listening right now know that the U.S. Postal Service is an important tool for any business. It reaches every household every day. Now, Stamps.com is the easiest way to access all the amazing services of the post office. This is why I love Stamps.com. It never closes. You can print postage for letters or packages at your convenience 24-7. You can print postage for any mail class right now from your very own computer. Here's what I like best about Stamps.com and why I'm kicking myself for not using it sooner. It saves me so much time and so much money, and then I can use that extra time and focus on my show. I use Stamps.com because it saves me crazy time and crazy money. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer, which includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Jungle. To take advantage of this great, great service and get this great offer, go to Stamps.com, enter Jungle, Stamps.com, enter Jungle. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let's go ahead and start with some baseball. The Yankees roll into Fenway last night, and they're looking to get right after a tough stretch. They roll out on a gurney, though, after Mookie freaking bets did this to them. Kicks in, comes to the plate 2-1, and Mookie hammers it. Deep left field, way back, grand slam, Mookie bets his third career grand slam, and the Red Sox have blown this absolutely wide open. It is 14-1. A beatdown. Red Sox radio with the call. Move the hell over, Aaron Judge. And Giancarlo Stanton. Somebody give Mookie a step stool because that five foot nine, one hundred and eighty pound bone crusher just had a career day for the Bombers. On the Bombers, four for four, two doubles, five runs, four ribs, and the leader of a one man wrecking crew that jumped all over Yankee ace Luis Severino. And then dropped a nine spot in the sixth to turn this thing into a felonious beatdown. Red Sox, 14, Yankees, one. And as always, your normal disclaimer, it is early April. I know it's way too early to draw any conclusions. But I will say, you can feel the effects of a beating like that well into summer. Bruises like that stick around for quite some time, especially when it's your heated rival who is stomping on your head, especially when it's coming from the fists of the team that actually won the AL East last season. Because you get the feeling that the Red Sox were trying to make a statement last night, the kind of statement you make when you roll out of the rack and you've got a nine-game winning streak, the kind of statement you make when you have the best record in the AL at 9-1. and one. And while people were trying to punch holes in that run since the Red Sox were doing it against the likes of the Rays and the Marlins, dropping a couple of touchdowns and kicking both extra points against the Yankees does demand some attention. Scoring 14 while your fans are lighting up the Bombers with chants of Yankees suck, Yankees suck, is hopefully just the first of a number of haymakers this summer that has the makings of an all-out war. Again, no need to panic if you're the Yankees. The Daily News hitting the back page with the curse of the Stantino is pretty much over the top, and that's what they do. Yes, dude is gripping it pretty tightly. Yes, 
He's got a hole in his bat right now. But after two early Ks, he did settle down. He got a few knocks. And that can be the one positive that you take out of that beating. Stanton getting his timing, getting his footing, getting right during his first taste of the Red Sox and the Yankees. But we know this. Baseball is a hell of a lot better when the Yankees and the Red Sox are both good. Baseball is a hell of a lot better when they're both good and they hate each other. And while we're still not quite to Tech and A-Rod squaring off or Pedro throwing senior citizens around, the hate is brewing. It is the first time these teams have seen each other since lobbing the word cheater at one another late last year. The first time these two lineups have faced off since the Yanks landed Stanton and the Sox responded with J.D. Martinez. And while both these teams have new skippers in the dugout, both Alex Cora and Aaron Boone have already been a part of the rivalry. They know how this goes. And with Chris Sale slinging it last night and David Price on the bump tonight, expect the Sox to try to put the foot on the Bombers' throat again. Yes, it is early, but it's never too early to revisit and start that rivalry up once again. And on an unseasonably cold night in Boston, it felt a little like October, and it was awesome. Well, awesome for Boston. I like it, though. Judge, Stanton, had a few knocks, didn't matter, still got jacked up. 1-800-636-8686. Yankee fan, a little time's gone by since I admonished you and called you a loser for booing this guy. He's still gripping, he's still struggling, and you just got hammered. Jim Trotter what do you think joins me about what you saw Jimbo, last night. good morning, what's up? Red How Sox are you? Fans. Roman, it's early. What's going on, man? How Good, Jim. Good How about you? What's up? Rolling. No complaints whatsoever, man. Good, good. Let me ask you first, Jim. Let's start with the Raiders. Khalil Mack did not attend the start of voluntary workouts for the Raiders. If you're that organization, what is your reaction and how concerned are you about that? No, they're not concerned at all from, from the talks that I've had with them. Look, they know Khalil wants a new contract. Um, Khalil is going to get a new contract, and my understanding is that in all likelihood it'll be done before the start of training camp. So this is just bi- the business of football at this point, and, and there's no major concern on, on either party's side. They understand the importance of Khalil to that defense. He wants to be a Raider. This deal will get done, as I understand it, again, before training camp. All right, Jim. So if that deal gets done, what's that deal look like? Mega. You know, that's I, I, I don't know what other word to use other than mega, epic. Um, it's going to be huge. And you're going to see a few of those, Jim. I mean, Aaron Donald's going to get broken off soon, too. So um, some of the young players who have established themselves as some of the best in the game are about to get paid, and, and um, truly it's time for them to get paid. Um, they have outperformed their rookie contracts, and these are superstars. These are difference makers. I mean, you're talking about a defensive tackle in Aaron Donald who was you know, a defensive MVP, and you're talking about Khalil Mack, who a couple of years ago was all pro at two different positions. So um, these are guys who deserve to get paid and who are going to get paid. Jim Trotter is a reporter for the NFL Network. Hey, Jim, what about the Raiders and John Gruden? Overall, how do you think that they will look in their first season under Gruden, and what do you make of what you've seen from him so far? You know, that, look, Gruden's a talented coach without question, and I think what he's going to do is change the culture from the standpoint of, if you know John, you know, he likes to talk about being a Gruden grinder, and, and he's going to challenge folks, and most specifically he's going to challenge the quarterback. Um, it's not easy for quarterbacks to play for John Gruden because every day 
he is challenging you with something. But the good thing about that is if you look at his track record, he has made quarterbacks better everywhere he's been. You take a Rich Gannon, who was a journeyman for most of his career, and he becomes an NFL MVP under John Gruden. You know, Derek Carr said he's excited about this challenge of playing under Gruden. But there are some in the organization and in the locker room that I've heard who wonder just how well that that's going to mesh. Um, I tend to think it's going to work fine. I think that, that Derek Carr is one of those guys who does want to be challenged. But at the same time, what John Gruden has said publicly is that he wants Derek Carr to take more ownership of this team and this locker room. And some think that's not necessarily his personality. So I'm fascinated by that dynamic as well. But I think you're going to see some change, um, some growing pains with the Raiders, too, as this transition takes place because Gruden is going to want to bring in guys that he likes and, and that, that fits the culture and personality that he wants. And right now, you know, there just don't seem to be those type of alpha dogs overall in that late Raiders locker room, and I think you're going to see some change in that way. So I'm sitting here on a Wednesday, midday, here in SoCal. Beautiful day. Not a cloud in the sky. That might not be the case where you are. In fact, where you are, you might be working in elements. You might be grinding out on a hot, dusty job site or maybe in a loud, wet kitchen, you know, where it's hard to communicate with your coworkers. You've got to lead the team, but you're having a tough time communicating with them because of the elements, because of the weather. Yeah, I've got an answer for that. New Post-it Extreme Notes. Post-it Extreme Notes. This way you get your message across and you get the job done regardless of what the weather is. Rain, heat, humidity, it doesn't matter because new Post-it Extreme Notes are water resistant. They're made with Durahold paper and adhesive. They stick to concrete, drywall, raw wood, even brick, almost anything at all. So no matter what the task is, no matter where your job site is, no matter what the weather is, you can get your message across with new Post-it Extreme Notes. Post-it Extreme Notes, buy them today wherever you get your Post-it Notes. Jim Trotter joining us. Jim, one guy who obviously did not fit in, did not mesh, was not a part of the culture, Marquette King. He was their punter, and so he was let go at the end of March. You did a piece on him recently. Did King have any idea that that was coming? Oh, none whatsoever. He was actually in Phoenix training, and he flew into the Bay Area to shoot a um, feature for NBA TV. He basically was going to teach Andre Iguodala how to punt. And so he flies into the Bay Area, and the next day before going out to the shoot, he says he wants to stop by the building because he's never met John Gruden, and, and he wants to meet with Rich Basaccia, the new special teams coach. And, in fact, he wants to make such a good, good impression that he goes to the grocery store, and he's heard how Gruden is so intense and whatnot, so he buys a box of Snickers for Gruden, and he buys a bottle of limoncello for Rich Basaccia, and he takes it into the building, and he, you know, he wants to give it to them, but they're not there. Um, the staff is out, so you know he doesn't get to deliver it. And later that day, he gets a call um, from Reggie McKenzie, the Raiders GM, basically telling him that they're going to let him go. So, um, no, he was blindsided by it. By it. In fact, he said it's like when you play that MMA game and, and you're about to get knocked out, and you take the hit, and all of a sudden you're in that dazed gray area for a while. And that's how it was for him for a day or so. And thing is, too, he is one of the great characters in the game, and this guy actually turned punting into must-see TV, and not just because of the kicks, but because of the celebrations. How much of a role did that play in their decision to let him go? No, it was a factor. And if you talk to Marquette, look, he says that people think they know him just based on social media or television, and that's not who he is. And he said, if the Raiders had sat me down and said they want me to be a zombie, that's who I would have been. But look, it, there's no secret, too, that, that Marquette will own this, that, you know, he's got some growing up to do as well. 
And look, you look at the Hall of Fame, I'm a voter. You know, there's only one punter in the Hall of Fame. There are only, I believe, one or two kickers. And, and so from that standpoint, there are some who believe that, that specialists aren't even football players still, as dumb as I think that is. But you have some who have that mentality, and you have coaches and, and organizations who believe that, that kickers should be, you know, uh, seen and not heard. And so if you're going to have a punter like Marquette who has a lot of personality, and in a lot of ways it's harmless, but there are organizations and people who just don't like seeing that from a punter. But, Jim, let's be clear with him. More than anything, what drove this, too, is his salary. You know, when you're talking about a guy who's going to make over or nearly $2.5 million in a season, that's a lot of money invested in a punter. And I think you have to put it all together to see the picture of why he released. It wasn't just, you know, the annex on the field, um, but there was a feeling that he needed to grow up off the field a little bit and, and, and also the fact that he had a big salary, and those things made him expendable. And then, of course, the Broncos end up getting him. So they probably don't have those concerns, or they sit him down one or the other, but he's already got a gig. They spoke with him. And, no, they and, did speak with him about it. And what did they tell him? Well, that, 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 that's not acceptable. Okay. And Marquette has told me that, that, you know, that will change. And if you look at it, two of those personal or those unsportsmanlike conduct penalties occurred a couple of years ago. But he also said this, Jim, you know, he said, look, they told him that they want him to be himself and they want him to have fun. The issue here is that everybody have a, has a different definition of what fun is. And fun is okay as long as it doesn't hurt the team. So I still think you will see you know, personality from Marquette, but I don't believe that you will see the penalties and those sorts of things that, that can hurt a club. Jim Trotter joins us. All right, Jim, let me ask you about Eric Reed. He was a first-round pick in 2013. He was a Pro Bowl safety in his career with San Francisco. He had more than 300 tackles, 10 picks, 34 passes defensed. He had a sack, yet as a free agent, there has not been much interest at all. How much of that is about his ability as a player, and then how much of that is about the fact that he has spoken out and demonstrated against systemic oppression? Well, I think it's a little bit of all of it. But if you look at the safety market, to this point, um, a lot of safeties haven't been signed. And I, and I think that what happens, you know this with free agency, there's initial first wave where you get the high-profile guys, the big-money guys that teams want um, and who are at the top of the free agent list, and they get signed. And then you have a lull, and then you'll have a second wave of free agency where the, um, the lesser-named guys or, the, or guys who are perceived to be lesser impact start to get signed for less money. I've been told by a couple of teams that they have interest in Eric Reed, but they want to wait and see how the markets start to shake out, those sorts of, sorts of things. They didn't have him as a first-wave guy. But the thing that's sort of disturbing after you read the Pro Football Talk post, there are two things in that that I found a little um, unsettling, one being that, that Eric was caught off guard by the fact that Mike Brown would ask him about if he's going to protest or not. If you're Eric Reed, you have to know going in that that's going to be one of the first questions you're probably asked by an owner. And the second thing is just that Mike Brown would bring that up from the standpoint of, you know, some NFL owners seem to be majoring in, in the minor here is what I'll call it because, look, we just saw the Philadelphia Eagles win a Super Bowl, and they had a number of guys on that team who were socially active in terms of social justice, whether it was Malcolm Jenkins, Chris Long, Torrey Smith, those guys. It didn't seem to hurt their team. And so from that standpoint, um, I think some, some owners are overreacting here to this. And the fact that it's still an issue, um, you know it's still an issue because the owners have not decided at this point whether or not they are going to have players on the field for the national anthem, whether they're going to keep them in the locker room, or whether they're going to rewrite the game operations manual to say that players have to stand for the national anthem. 
So the fact that that has not been decided yet tells you that this is still an issue among some owners, and hopefully, or not hopefully, but it's going to have to be cleared up at some point. My guess would be at the next owners' meeting, we're going to get some clarification on on where this is going to go. Now back to your point, Jim, about the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, they're one of the more intelligent, socially aware football teams, not only right now, but in quite some time. So not only was that not a distraction, that's one of the best locker rooms that you will ever see. So that clearly was not an issue there, and they won it all. What about this issue of Josh Rosen? What about the criticism coming into the draft that he's too intelligent, he's got too many interests, he actually wants to know why the plays are called? What do you make of that whole thing? You know, this, the, the whole thing is laughable to me, Jim, to be frank. Um, look, when did it become a bad thing for a player to want to be challenged intellectually? And you can't tell me there aren't players in the NFL who are that way right now. Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels has said, if you don't bring something new to Tom Brady every week, if you don't challenge him, he will tune you out and you will lose him. Having covered Drew Brees, Drew Brees is the same way. Peyton Manning, was he, when he was in um, um, game planning meetings, do you think he didn't ask the coaches why they were doing something or challenge them as to what would be better in a certain situation? I remember when I was doing the book on Junior, and I talked to, to Peyton about Junior, and he told me conversations he had with the coaching staff about how they viewed what was going on one way, and he viewed it another, and he challenged them. So to me, this says more about coaches who are intimidated by players who want to be challenged intellectually than it does about the player himself. I want a player who asks questions, who understands. And the other thing here, Jim, is you have to understand every player is different in terms of what his triggers are, in terms of what motivates him or what brings out the best in him. And I'll give you an example. There are some players who don't want to be challenged intellectually, and I, and I don't mean this in a bad way. It's just a reality of how they feel they function best. But when I was covering the Chargers one year and Jim Harbaugh was a starting quarterback, and they were getting ready to play the Rams, who at that time were the greatest show on turf. They were putting up points like it was an arcade game. And so the game plan that week was that, that the Chargers, who were awful that year, were going to go no huddle. And the defensive coaches went to Mike Riley, who was the head coach at that time, and they said, are you kidding me? We're going no huddle against this offense? We're going to give them more possessions? And Mike Riley said, Jim feels most comfortable at this point running no huddle. That's where he's most effective. And so that's what we have to do. He doesn't want to spend a lot of time overanalyzing things. In essence, he wants to be spoon-fed and just run the offense. So every player is different in terms of how they function best. And if Josh Rosen feels that the best he can get the best out of himself by understanding every little nuance of the offense, then in a, as a coach, I would think that's what you want to do with him. What a great story that is. And not at all surprising either that Harbaugh wanted that stuff spoon-fed to him. Not at all. And Jim, one last thought. Now, you travel a lot as part of your job, and you're familiar with the perks and the quirks of travel. I've got to ask before you go, what is a greater sin before a long flight? Not showering or taking off your shoes during the flight. (laughs) Or putting on too much cologne to cover the fact that you have not showered. And took off your Um, shoes. I got a long list, Jim, when you talk about flying. And I think I could write a book and colleagues who fly a lot. I mean, the whole thing about not showering is ridiculous. Taking off your shoes, the leaner, we call him the leaner. Nick Canepa calls him the leaner, the guy who reclines all the way into your lap where you feel like you need to get a hotel room because you're that close. Um, all those things are just ridiculous. And then Steve Weiss, my colleague, brings up the other day, you know, people who cut their nails next to you on the plane. And I told Steve, I said, I'm sorry. At that point, I would have to draw a line and say something to that person. You know, that, look, 
I get you think this is your space, but when your nails come flying in my direction, we got a problem here. So um, I've seen too many things on playing. Clothes should be mandatory. I had one guy who got on and only had on tidy whities To me, that shouldn't be acceptable. I don't want you sitting next to me in your tidy whities It's midweek. Are you thinking about the weekend already? Are you thinking about where you want to go this weekend? My pals at Fan Exchange can help you with that because you might be thinking about buying tickets to your favorite sporting event, maybe a concert, maybe a theater event. Maybe you want to experience a basketball game courtside rather than right there on your couch. Maybe you want to hit an NHL playoff game and go banging on the glass instead of your own TV in your own living room. That's where FanExchange.com comes in. Head on over there for a safe, easy, and reliable experience. Tickets purchased on Fan Exchange are always guaranteed. There's no getting to the gate and worrying about whether or not you're going to get in. So whether it's NBA, MLB, wrestling, Coachella even, a Broadway musical, Fan Exchange is the way to get closer to the action and you can find the best seats at the best prices at FanExchange.com. Here's what you need to do. Use the promo code Rome. Promo code Rome and get 50% off service fees on your next purchase. Fan Exchange, we have tickets. Promo code Rome, get 50% off the service fee. Fan Exchange, we have tickets. I love these guys. Check them out today. And I think it's time. The moment you've all been waiting for. I think it is time. Listen carefully. Lace up the skates. Buckle the chin strap. Throw away that freaking razor. The Stanley Cup playoffs are here. Get ready for a couple of months of absolute savagery. The fiercest postseason in all of sports. 16 teams bracket up, and they face off for the right to hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. You know it's a big time of year here in the jungle. You know this is a huge hockey house. You know that I walk around every spring shouldering an amazing responsibility. The gift of pure hockey infallibility. It's not something I take lightly. But yes, it was gifted to me. But with great power comes great responsibility. I don't roll out of the rack on playoff morning. Strap on a blindfold. Throw a steel tip at a dartboard. I put in the time. I put in the hours. I may have con Smythe game, but I've got fourth line grind because every year the cup demands as much, especially when there is this much at stake. You've got Sid the Kid gunning for the first three-peat since the Islanders dynasty of the early 80s. The Vegas Golden Knights might be the best story in all of sports. They've already done something that nobody thought was possible. Rip 51 wins as an expansion team and carry the Pacific Division's one seed into the madness. Stevie Y shoving his chips into the middle and making some power moves at the trade deadline for Tampa Bay, making them dangerous, really dangerous. You've got Alex Ovechkin and the Caps right back in the thick of things where they always are. The NHL's leading sniper, ready to prove that this is the year that will not be like every other year when they flame out. So much to like. So many great story angles. So many teams that have a legitimate look at this. However, as much as I like how these teams are playing and the look that they have, there is one thing that I like even more. The one team I like even more, the team that I'm calling to pick, calling to say, 
or calling the winner of it all. The team I like best, Smashville, the Preds. I like catfish, mate. We see cat, mate. Because Smashville has got some unfinished business. The Preds came within 61 minutes and 35 seconds of hoisting their first cup when they made that run out of the eight hole last year. They turned a country music city into a hockey town. And if you don't think seeing the Penguins partying in their house did something to that team, then you don't know that team because the Preds have the look of a champ. They've got firepower. They have the depth. And just as important, they've got the scar tissue, something that you need to have. Sometimes you've got to have your heart ripped out before you can get over and win. There is a process to these things. Wayne Gretzky used to talk about that all the time, about having the Islanders handle their business and how they had to watch it as part of the process of winning it all with the Edmonton. That's the Preds. And that what, that's what last year was. You see, this year is different. This group is different. And by different, I mean better. Pecorine came back even better between the pipes. This dude was unconscious last year in the postseason, and he's even better right now, even at 35. Phil Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson. These guys can light the lamp. We know that. P.K. Subban, Roman Yossi, monsters at the point. No team has better depth at center ice or on the blue line. David Poyle built a bully. Head coach, Peter Laviolette. He's got these guys dialed in. They're starving. That's why this year is going to end with one of the all-time great parties on Broadway after the Preds win 16 the hardest way. Now, don't start adding me because I picked the betting favorite. Don't at me because I'm rolling with the President's Trophy winner, the team with the best regular season record in hockey. Because you know what? The betting favorite almost never wins the cup. Ask the Caps what those President's Cups have done for them other than help them book early tea times and earn more cabana time in the sand. And as good as Nashville has been this year, nobody's going to have a tougher road, especially if they're looking at Winnipeg in round two. Except it is their year. It's Smashville's year. This time, it is going to be different. And like one of those good old country and western songs, sometimes you have to have your heart busted up first. The Preds have been there, they've done that, and now they're coming home with the cup. Write it down right now. Write it down now. Thank me later. Because while I've been wrong about many, many things, picking the eventual Stanley Cup winner is not one of them. I have never been wrong in that regard. I never will be because it is a gift bestowed upon me from the hockey gods above. I don't know why they picked me. I don't question why they picked me. I just know they did. I know it's true and I will honor and respect the hell out of it and so should you. The Preds are my pick. Smashville is my pick. Sit back and watch them do it. And understand, it's going to be a tough road. 16 of the toughest games to ever win. First one to 16 wins. The Preds will be it. How do I know? I just do. Dear James, two guarantees in life. One, your NHL prediction. Two, no Canadian team will take home the cup. Steve in SA. Do what you want. Do what you want. Thank me later. All right, it's out there. I've got the Preds. This year, they finish.
You can watch Kevin Weeks on NHL Networks, NHL Tonight, throughout the entire postseason. He joins us right now. Kevin, it's good to have you on the show. How are you? Romy, thanks so much, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate that kind intro. And uh, a shout-out to our good mutual friend and one of our top hosts in Tony Luffman. So shout-out to T. Luff. He's always speaking super highly of you. He's singing your praises all the time. So, uh, so just a shout-out to Tony. Kev- as well. Yeah, Kevin, it's great to have you on. I really mean that. And Tony Luffman, I was going to ask you about Luffman towards the end, but since mm. you bring him up, you guys share a set together. My man is one of the all-time great energy guys. He's so positive. He's so enthusiastic. What's it like to work with him? Awesome. We, we, share, a lot of, we share a lot of the same vibe that way, and he's just a breath of fresh air. He's a great person. He comes from a great family as well. Uh, he brings that energy. He brings the professionalism. Uh, that level of passion and, you know, having played in the league a long time, those are the guys that you want in the locker room. That's the type of personality that I love being around in the locker room, uh, be it on the bus, be it on the plane, uh, at games, you name it, in practice. Those are the guys that I kind of gravitate towards. So um, Tone and I have a great synergy. He's great for our team, more importantly, and I don't think you're going to find anybody that has a bad thing to say or should have a bad thing to say about Tony and uh, his late mom, when I had the chance to meet her, was outstanding as well, and so too is his dad. They're great people. So the apple doesn't usually fall too far from the tree. We're blessed to have him on our side. Listen, if you've got a problem with Tony Luffman, you've got a problem with yourself. Kevin Weeks joining us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so, Kevin, the playoffs start tonight. Well, I've been trying to make the argument, Kevin, that the NHL postseason is the best postseason, and I'm still getting a lot of pushback from people who don't understand the sport. I mean, the postseason in football, baseball, basketball, it's all a grind, but there's nothing like the NHL postseason what does it take from a mental and physical standpoint to get through each round and then to the Stanley Cup final? Okay, so the first put, let's qualify this. I've got friends in every league and every sport. Where it's a mutual admiration society, as you know. We all love and respect everybody's uh, specific sport of choice. So I-, I love all that. But you're absolutely right. There should be no pushback for any of you listeners out there, any of you fans out there. Get to a game. Get to a Stanley Cup playoff game. I don't care if it's a Ducks game if it's a Sharks game, if it's a Kings game, since you're out there in SoCal and you're in Cal in general, all three California teams are going to be in the Stanley Cup playoffs. This is amazing once again to have for our league. But in saying that, there's nothing like it. I mean, the intensity, the toughness, uh, the tenacity, the competitive spirit, and I can tell you this, man, it's so demanding mentally, psychologically, spiritually, physically. It's so demanding each and every game. Each and every regular season NHL game is demanding. You can multiply that by about 5-6x in a Stanley Cup playoff game. The things I've seen and experienced uh, in playoffs in terms of injury, nature of injury, that guys are playing walking wounded, basically, uh, and, and that's with no disrespect to our men and women in the military who um, you know, obviously defend our freedom and ensure that. I've got a lot of family and friends in the military, so shout out to any, anybody in the service, but from a sports standpoint, the things that our guys play through, it's, it's just basically unspeakable, really. So uh, there's nothing like the Stanley Cup playoffs. But you know what else, Romy, too? It's the unpredictability. That's what it is. I mean, you can get an eight seed, go ahead like the National Predators last year, and go all the way to the Stanley Cup final and take Pittsburgh to six games. And then that same eight seed from last year in, in Nashville now is the top team in the league, having won the President's Trophy, finishing first overall this year. And now all of a sudden the expectations are squarely on their shoulders. So um, every round I think is hyper-competitive, every game, every shift. And I'll put it to you this way, right? Growing up as a kid in Toronto and you know, being a top prospect and all the rest of it, I was like, yeah, man, I know what it's all about. 
I know what Stanley Cup playoffs are all about. I'm watching it. I'm consuming it as a fan. I get into the minors, work my way up. I get into the NHL. When I got into the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, <laughs> I realized how much I didn't know. Okay, Winnipeg Jets coach Paul Maurice, who was our then coach with the Hurricanes in 02 during our improbable run to the Cup final. I remember him telling me in his office, Reepsy, you're going to go. You're starting. You're starting this next game. Right. I want you to put. I want you to put them out there. I want them to be big. I want you to let them hang down. I want you to put them out there. Put them on the line. This is your game, man. Incredible. I, I, I floated. I floated out of his office. Literally, I felt like I was levitating out of his office. So uh, finally, getting to play in the Stanley Cup playoffs, man. There's nothing like it. Nothing. Kevin Weeks joining us. He's with the NHL Network. You can watch him once again. They've got the National Telecaster Game 1 featuring New Jersey at Tampa Bay. You know, Kevin, I, God, I could talk to you about a million different things. I can go a number of different ways. But when I think about the fact that you played goalie and you played it when you played it, this is really off topic. But we've got a podcast, and I had a conversation for the first time yesterday with Clint Malarczyk. Uh-huh. And, you know, yes. his story is absolutely amazing. Do you remember what you were thinking when you saw him badly hurt on the ice in 1989? I, I do. I, I grew up watching Clint Malarchuk. In fact, I had Clint Malarchuk posters because he wore Vaughn goalie equipment and I wore Vaughn for the better part of my career as well. And um, I remember watching that game. I'm from Toronto. You know, it's only an hour and a half drive from my parents' house in Toronto to Buffalo uh, as he was playing for the Sabres then at their old arena at the Odd, the Auditorium in Buffalo. I mean, I remember watching it. My dad and I were watching it and we were basically speechless. We didn't... You know, we didn't know what to do. We didn't even know what to say. We were watching it in, in shock. We were in a state of shock, and we weren't even in the building. So for him to have been as calm as he was and the medical staff uh, at the arena to be, and the first responders really, to be um, as calm and as efficient as they were, I mean, they saved his life when he took that skate to the juggler. And I've had the chance to see him since. Uh, he was an excellent goalie coach, by the way, as well. He had a big hand in Roberto Luongo for the Panthers. He has, he's had a, a big hand in his success. And I, I've seen him numerous times since then, since I started doing TV. And just the chance to talk to him. He's a really fascinating guy, as I'm sure you found out yesterday. A lot of depth. He's a horse. I want to say he's either an equine chiropractor or an equine dentist as well, if not both. I know he's living out in Nevada and he had a ranch. So he's uh, very well-rounded, but certainly he was able to overcome that life-threatening, literally life-threatening uh, situation. It's, it's just remarkable that he's been able to overcome that. You know, I appreciate your thoughts on that, Kevin. And we've got a lot of listeners in Buffalo. In fact, this show is nationwide, so there's a lot of hockey fans listening who know that, and we'll have mm-hmm. more of that in the podcast. Now, the playoffs do get underway. You have the Devils at the Lightning tomorrow night. The Lightning racked up 113 points in the regular season. It was the most in the East, but when you look at the way they play defense, Kevin, right now, their consistency, do they seem to you to be as buckled down or locked in as you'd expect a team with that record to be? You're bang on right now. That's my one, I don't want to say concern, but area of focus that I'm going to be watching with the Tampa Bay Lightning as this goes on. I think the Lightning have an outstanding franchise. D.B. Eisenman has been a maestro as their GM. Uh, so, too, has been John Cooper and that coaching staff have done an outstanding job. Rick Bonus, Nigel Kerwin, and their goalie coach, Franchon. But the one thing in talking to players on that team and talking to the staff members is that's what Coach Coop is telling them. Guys, we got to defend. Guys, we got to defend. We know we can score. We know we can fill the net. But if we want to win games 
in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And ultimately, we want to be the first to 16 win and host that big silver mug. We've got to defend, and we've got to do it consistently, shift to shift, game to game. Because Stanley Cup playoffs, as I tell Tony all the time, the rink shrinks, not physically, but regular dimensions of the rink are 200 by 85, 200 long by 85 wide. Come Stanley Cup playoffs, it feels like it's 150 by 50. It gets tight. It gets packed. It's difficult. You hear coaches talk about time and space. Well, there's less time and space to be able to make plays. So with all that being said, you might not be able to score your way, and you're highly unlikely to score your way to winning a Stanley Cup. Um, You've got to defend your way to give yourself a chance to win the Stanley Cup. That's something with Tampa that's been very inconsistent this season at different times, albeit they've had a tremendous season. Uh, their captain, Steve Stamkos, and Kucherov uh, have had outstanding years, as has their young goalie, Vasilevsky, for the first three quarters of the season. But if they don't buckle down, don't be surprised if the Devils don't give them a run. And I think the Devils will give them a run anyways. John Hines has done an outstanding job in Ray Shiro with the Devils just literally up Route 3 and Route 21 from our NHL Network Studios in our house here in Jersey. But um, it, I, I'm, I'm curious to see, Roman. I'm glad you asked that question. I'm curious to see Tampa Bay's commitment to defending. If they commit to defending, I think they win this series in six games, maybe even seven, if they commit to defending. If they don't, don't be surprised if Jersey could pull off an upset. Kevin Weeks joining us, retired NHL goalie and an analyst with the NHL Network. Hey, Kevin, if the toughest thing in all sports is to win a Stanley Cup, then maybe the mm-hmm. next toughest thing or maybe even tougher is to defend a Stanley Cup. You've got the two-time defending champs in Pittsburgh. How do the Penguins look to you right now? The Penguins are clicking. They're clicking. They're firing offensively. Uh, I spoke to Jimmy Rutherford, their GM. He told me openly about their quest for a three-peat. It's a unique situation. They're the first team since the Detroit Red Wings, 97-98, to, to repeat. So they're looking at three-peat. It'll be the first team since the Islanders and the Islanders dynasty in the 80s. So uh, they, they've got their sights set on that. They certainly have the offensive personnel. We know that already. Sidney Crosby, uh, of course, leads the team. But Yevgeny Malkin and my man Phil Kessel, who gets no love, who's been amazing. Uh, all two of those guys, anyways, will be future Hall of Famers. I really think Crosby, obviously, for obvious reasons. Malkin as well. But Phil Kessel, his track, he's got the chance to be a Hall of Famer as well. And those guys can sting you, and they all play apart from each other, Romy. That's the thing. So it's not as though they've got to be on the ice at the same time on five-on-five on five at even strength. Those guys play independently of each other, and they maul you offensively. Then you throw those guys on the power play, and it's good night nurse. So... Uh, I love the way that they're playing offensively. My one worry with Pittsburgh, my one worry, and it's a big worry, our Mike Ruff and I were talking about this the other day, you don't have that ace in the hole in Marc-Andre Fleury behind Matt Murray. Right. This isn't anything to do with Matt Murray. I've been a big Matt Murray guy since he was playing for Sault Ste. Marie in the OHL. I think Matt Murray, what he's done is unprecedented, winning two Stanley Cups in his, you know, his rookie years. But the bigger challenge is, heaven forbid, something goes wrong with him or he goes down by way of injury, then what? That's a huge question mark in Pittsburgh for me. But I love the way they're playing offensively. I think this sets up to be a great series. The Battle of the Keystone State, Romy. The Battle of the Keystone State. We know Pennsylvania is a great sports state. And, of course, two great sports cities in Philly and Pittsburgh. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give the Flyers their due, what they've been able to accomplish this year. And their captain, uh, Claude Giroux, along with Taylor Hall, from the Devils, and Andre Kopitar, I would say, uh, and Nate McKinnon. Those guys are my heart trophy candidates right now for, for NHL MVP. So I think the Flyers are going to put up a good fight in this series, and Pittsburgh better not take them lightly because 
the Flyers are clicking too, and their offense is is more multidimensional than people have given it credit for in the past. You just are not going to get better analysis than this. Kevin, before I let you go, i got to ask you about the tragedy involving the Humboldt Broncos. And I bring this up because, and and I mentioned this, and you can speak to this as well as anybody. I mean, literally everybody in that league, virtually everybody in that league has been on that bus. I mean, you guys, as juniors come up and you take those road trips, you ride those buses, you know. And it's been amazing the way the hockey community has responded, really the sporting community overall. What was your reaction? What are your thoughts? Man, I'm glad that you, you afforded me the opportunity to talk about it. Um, it's it's so tragic. It's horrific. It really is. Uh, you know, I I remember being a young player growing up and just aspiring to get on a bus. And then, you know, our, our youth hockey team at times, different tournaments, the world-famous Quebec Pee Wee tournament as 13-year-olds. That was the first time we were on a bus for a tournament. And, you know, our parents are on the bus. We're all on it. We You know, we felt like we were in the NHL. At 13-year-olds, that's when it started. And then for some other tournaments, depending on proximity from Toronto where I grew up, uh, we'd take buses as well. And then when I got to Tier 2 Junior playing for St. Mike's Buzzers, uh, and then the OHL playing in Owentown in Ottawa, I mean, we'd be going up and down Highway 401 from Ottawa at one end, the eastern end, all the way down to Windsor at the far end, which would lead us into Detroit. And, I mean, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., on the bus, same thing when I was in the minors in the American League and the old IHL. Romy, I mean, a lot of my best memories, a lot of my fondest memories, my most impactful memories are those times on the bus and those times in the car with my parents going to tournaments. Um, you know, those, those are lifelong bonds. And, you know, be it stopping at, you know, a truck stop and getting chicken fingers and fries, you know, uh, stopping at Denny's when you're in the minors, the bus pull up or Golden Corral or whatever it is, big boy, and just those bonds, talking, watching movies together. Remember, was back in the day with Blockbuster, you know this. Hey, boys, we got to make sure we get our movies right before we get on the road. What do we got? Who's going to Blockbuster? Hey, get Beverly Hills Cop. Hey, get this, get whatever. And it's, it's so much time that's spent. It's such a big part of the fabric of our game. But more importantly, it's the, it's the human connection. That's what it is, right? It's talking to guys. Hey man, my, my mom's afflicted by this or my younger sister just got into college or university or whatever the case may be. I mean, it's, it, it's really difficult to quantify accurately how impactful the bus rides are, but it's a big part of our fabric. Even at the NHL level, man, sometimes, you know, I'm playing for the Rangers here up the street in New York or across the Hudson and we're going to Philly and we're busing to Philly. You know, it, it could, it, it could have happened to anybody and, my heart goes out to the the players, the families, the coaches, the staff, the fans, the entire Humboldt community. Uh, they're not in this alone. You know, fortunately, the hockey community is is collectively strong, and you know we walk with them in this, we mourn with them in this, we grieve with them in this, we support them in this, and it will continue to have to be. It has been an outstanding collective effort of the greater hockey family. And it will continue to be that. And I can tell you, I I talk to my mom and dad almost every day. And I spoke to them two days ago, specifically after leaving the studio. And I could tell they were shaken up as I was. At times, I've even had some difficulty sleeping. I talked to a lot of guys about it. We had the rookie sensation, Matthew Barzell from the Islanders in yesterday. And and second-year impressive player, Anthony Beauvillier. They were in our NHL Network studios, and we were talking about it off-camera. It's really affected each and every one of us, man. So... As I said, 
shout out to all the great sports fans, all the great hockey fans. I know that there have been donations on their GoFundMe page from north of 60 countries around the world. And, and Romy, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a proud uh, Bajan. My parents are from Barbados. I grew up in Canada, so and I lived in the U.S. for a long time, so I'm fortunate to have those three great countries. Family that we have back in Barbados was talking to us about that, about that tragedy. So it really has uh, it, it's gotten global attention, but more importantly, it's gotten a lot of global support. And I think that that's, uh, that's really the essence of what makes hockey the great sport that it is. And when you talked about it off the top, about how great and compelling the uh, – the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs can be, that's what it's rooted in. Because it's rooted in family, it's rooted in, in community, and that's part of the connective tissue that makes our sport so great. Beautifully stated. Kevin Weeks, my guest, an NHL Network analyst. He played 11 years in the NHL, and the NHL Network is going to have the national telecast cast of Game 1 featuring New Jersey at Tampa Bay tomorrow, once again, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can watch Kevin on NHL Network's NHL Tonight throughout the playoffs. Kevin, my man, you are doing amazing work. You are doing amazing work. It is so good to have you oh, on this thank show. Thank you, man. Coming from you, I grew up watching you, so <laughs> thank you so Dude, much. You, you are so doing really appreciate that. exceptional work, and it is so good to have you on the show. Let's be sure we do it again soon, Kevin. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Romy. I appreciate that. And shout out to all you NHL fans that watch us on the NHL Network, too. We love you. We appreciate you. <laughs> Talk me through it. Number one, how are you feeling today? Number two, how did the visit to the chiropractor go? Thank you, Jim, for having me on and for caring. Number one, I feel a little bit better. I didn't honestly. say that I cared. I just said, how are you feeling? Feeling a little bit better. Thank you for asking. Not the instant relief I was looking for. Uh, the visit to the chiropractor, disconcerting to say the least. I spent a great deal of time yelping it. I found the guy with uh, five stars in my neighborhood. When I pulled up... Um, I had noticed that I had driven into a strip mall and the chiropractor's office was situated between an Irish pub. In which Hawk, Hawk what did you expect? This guy to have like this, this high-rise building overlooking the beach, ceiling to floor glass. He's a Cairo. I was hoping at some point I would get into an elevator of some sorts, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're on the ground floor. Oh, yeah, right off of the uh, main drag. Give, give me an idea about this strip mall. What stores were surrounding this sure. doctor office? Yeah, there was an Irish pub to the left where four gentlemen were outside smoking cigarettes at 4.30 in the afternoon, and there was a liquor store on the right, so I just had to shoot in between those two and uh, go see my doctor who introduced himself as uh, Dr. Joe, which... Dr. Joe. Yeah, I prefer not, my doctors not to introduce themselves like uncles. I'd like to hear a last name with a doctor. But nevertheless, Dr. Joe very quickly went through the paperwork that I had pre-filled out and uh, took me back to the room, which was behind a... Uh, He's a doctor. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm a judge. Yeah, and I'm an <laughs> yeah. astronaut. Yeah, I play in the NFL, Hawk. All right, so Dr. Joe. Yes. Thanks, Joe. Nice guy. Really okay. nice guy. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Probably a great salesman. He was. The he, he took me to the to the room. He uh, you know grabbed like a a fake spine that he had and gave me the whole spiel for you know a good twenty nine minutes. And then we uh, we finally got to the adjustment part. Which how long was the appointment? The appointment was thirty minutes. Twenty nine was spiel and salesmanship and trying to get me in for visit number two with my wife. He wanted to see my wife. He wanted to. Why is she in pain? No, but you know. 
an adjustment would do her really well, he told me. In that. Preventative medicine. Yeah, it not only does it prevent back pain, apparently it prevents everything. It prevents the common cold, it prevents allergies, it prevents okay. headaches. Okay. So, you know, he did his he, thing. He didn't want to work on the baby, did he? Yes, he did. No. He said, why don't you bring in your 18-month-old, you know, and it'll just go a little pop, 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 and uh, it feels really good. The babies love it. And The babies I, love it. Yeah, that's... I just kind of ignored that. And then he... Uh, well, he work on the dog. <laughs> well, it'd be a cat in my case. Uh, yeah, exactly. What am I saying? So Did, Is it pop, pop, pop on the cat too? I I don't know. It, it, the whole thing was weird. The, 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 the line Are of the day... Are you sure you didn't see a vet? I'm, I'm of a not. Chiropractor. At this point, I'm not. The line of the day was, he told me... Uh, shout out to uh, Dr. Joe, by the way. Nice guy. Just want to throw that out there in case Dr. Joe's listening. He said, your back is like... A circuit breaker. I'm just going to open up the breaker, flip a few switches, and just reset everything. And being in radio, I was like, damn, that's a good analogy. I'm, I'm all set for this. That's and amazing. So, in other words, your back, the human back, is like a laptop. Just unscrew it, add a little more memory or RAM, and you're back to normal. It sounded perfect to me. And as he I'm was... sure it did sound perfect to you, Hawk. As he was doing you're Hawk. it... He was like calling his shot. He's like, watch this accuracy. And then he just like slammed pop. He's like, got it. And I was like, dude, hey. he, was, he was talking junk. He's he was like, styling his work. He's like the Steph like Curry. Like a bat flip? Yes. Uh, he was like the Steph Curry of chiropractic. Did he say man's game, Adam? Yeah, he did. And uh, his explanation was if you were to sit you down. You can't at, guard me, Adam. If you were to sit down at a piano, you wouldn't smash all the keys at once. You would just delicately play it like Mozart. He told you that. Yeah, he was he was on a roll. It was great. It was probably the 15th time that day he had gone through that material, but it was the first time I had heard it, so it was working on me. Dude, I like his passion, man. He's really into it. And uh, as when, once we finished... And Dude, this must have cost a fortune to get a guy with that expertise and that kind of rap. Best part of the story. I had texted my wife earlier, and I said, okay, 50 bucks to go get adjusted. I got to do it. I need instant relief. I have to do it. And she goes, no, I want you to go through the uh, health care that we have. And I said, I can't wait for an appointment. I'm going into this Did guy. Your insurance cover? Oh, okay, right. And uh, she says, how much does he want? I said, 50 bucks. An hour later, she texts me, and she goes, I called the guy. I negotiated it down to 30. <laughs> so don't pay a cent over 30. Wait a minute. Dude, I knew that we could negotiate the price of cars. I knew that we could negotiate the price of homes. I know that a lot of things are negotiable. I didn't know that we could negotiate the price of medical services. I literally have never gone to my doctor and said, hey, doc, you're the best at what you do. That annual, that physical, that annual physical that I have, let's talk about that. You can do better, doc. You can do better. You did that. It worked. My wife did it, so shout out to my wife. Saved wow. me 20 bucks, which, by the way, that $20 I can now reinvestment in. I can now reinvest into visit Another visit. Two. Exactly. Or, or, or use it on the baby. Right. The baby's small. I bet the baby's only 20 bucks for the half hour. He was like, he's like, you know an infant falls 1,500 times a month, right? And I was like, well, I didn't know that. I don't keep track. And he goes, that's a lot of wear and tear on the back. Let me, let me ask you something, dude. Do you ever... Do you ever go to like frozen yogurt places? Yeah, Yogurtland. Right. Okay, Yogurtland. Do they have punch cards there? Does he have a punch card where you get your 10th visit for free? Nate McMillan is my guest. Nate, so good to have you back on the show. How are you, Nate? 
I'm doing good, Jim. How are you doing? Good, man. Great. Great to visit with you. I mentioned you wrapped up the fifth spot in the Eastern Conference heading into last night's game against Charlotte. So you take advantage, Nate, and you rest three of your starters. You keep an eye on the minutes of the other key contributors. As a head coach, I know you never want to lose, but how nice is it to be in a spot where you can get your guys some rest before the postseason starts? Yeah, well, it, it was great. You know, we've had you know, three of our guys play big minutes this season and, you know, above 2,500 minutes. And uh, it was an opportunity. That game last night really d- didn't make a difference as far as uh, the standings. Uh, we have basically uh, sealed up the, the, the fifth spot. So it really didn't have any impact on, uh, you know, the, 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 the standings. And it was an opportunity to uh, get some guys uh, – some rest and uh Badanovich and Thaddeus Young uh those guys uh basically 25 plus 2500 plus minutes uh you know Victor tweaked his uh his foot in the last game against Charlotte and we just felt like look we need to get those guys uh give those guys some time off and get some other guys uh some minutes on the floor if possible and uh we was able to do that last night nate mcmillan my guest you know nate if you go back to last summer and that paul george trade the thought was this team would probably be competing for a lottery pick and now you've shocked everybody not just by making the postseason but improving upon last year's record when did you first get the sense that this team had something special about it well jim look i approach every season um to uh you know, get off to a good start, have a good training camp and to get off to a good start. And you always plan for the playoffs. You know, you know, people talk about, uh, you, what your, you know, what, uh, expectations, uh, whether you should be in the playoffs or, or you don't have the team or the talent to get into the playoffs. Uh, I don't think any coach really goes into the, the, the season with that approach. Uh, you know, in, in this league, you play to win. Uh, we felt like we had potential, uh, some young talent, and we were really developing uh, this group all season long. We, we knew that going into the season. Uh, we had guys come in, and we had a really good training camp. Uh, the approach was to uh, try to get off to a good start. You know, as far as winning some games, we was able to do that. Uh, some of our guys uh, developed and, and showed some growth fairly quickly. Uh, Victor, you know, just kind of took off at the beginning of the season. Uh, Darren Collison was playing well. All, our entire group really uh, played pretty good basketball to start, and they just continued to uh, grow and, and uh, show that potential, and uh, the chemistry was, was good. Uh, they played the game the right way. They worked hard every single day, and uh, we just continued to win games. And, you know, we find ourselves uh, – in the playoff race and, and, and finishing in this fifth spot. So uh, when did I recognize all of that? It, it was, you know, we took it really one game at a time uh, each night trying to go out and improve. Pacers head coach Nate McMillan joining us. I mean, Nate, I understand the old trust the process, but the amazing thing to me about your team, I mean, everybody knows about Vic Oladipo and the year he's had, but I would argue he's one of at least four new guys who've had career years. I mean, if one guy comes over and has a career year, that's a great thing. That's one thing. But when you've got a group of new players having career years, how do you explain that? How is that possible? How did that work? Well, we, we you know, we try to, and first of all, my coaching staff has been um, excellent. They've always been really good working our guys out. We, our development uh, 
uh, team or staff has done a great job with these guys. And, you know, we just try to put them in position to, uh, to take advantage of their strengths. And, uh, you know, with Victor uh, this season, I didn't know really anything about him other than coaching against him for a couple of years. Uh, but when we got him, uh, you know, his ability – to really uh, change the pace, you know, that we wanted to play. We wanted to play fast, but, you know, after getting him and watching him play and, uh, you know, seeing him in practice, we felt that this guy could really uh, establish a tempo that we really wanted to play uh, uh, in this league, you know. And he, you know, did that by pushing the ball, by attacking, uh, by being very aggressive. Uh, Victor is one of the fastest guards, I think, in the league with the basketball. Uh, you know, Darren, uh, you know, came in as a veteran. And uh, I think a lot of our guys, they felt that they had something to prove. Uh, you know, Darren, uh, you know, some teams gave up on him. He saw an opportunity to come to start for us. Uh, you know, Victor, you know, people talked about we didn't get much in the trade uh, for Paul George. You know, he came in, I thought, with a chip on his shoulder, worked extremely hard. Uh, Miles Turner, uh, you know, a young center for us. Uh, uh, Sabonis, I mean, we just have some guys who were hungry. Uh, they came, they worked hard, and uh, showed that they do have some talent, some potential, and uh, they played, had a good season. We're talking to Nate McMillan. Look, Nate, you're not in this for awards. You're not going to make it about yourself. But the fact is, you're getting a lot of attention for Coach of the Year, and it seems to me great players are always growing and evolving. Great coaches are also always growing and evolving. You're now getting close to 600 career wins, which is a big number. So when you look at the way this has transpired, how different are you now as a head coach than maybe you were when you first started out? Uh, you know, you, you, ch- you have to change and adapt with, uh, with the generation of players. And, uh, you know, really all my teams have been teams that uh, have been young teams. We've been developing, you know, uh, it you know, started for me in Seattle with uh, Richard Lewis and Desmond Mason, and you know I go on to uh, Portland, and it's Brandon Roy and Lamarcus Aldridge, and uh, you know now you know I'm here in Indiana, and uh, it's Victor and Miles and Sabonis, you know. So I've gone through this uh, before. I think the players are a little different; uh, they're much younger uh, than you know years ago, and. Uh, you know, so you, you have to adapt and, 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 and change how you uh, motivate and, and challenge these guys. You know, this group that I have this season has been really good. You know, Victor is a, is a guy who's a, a student of the game. He watches a lot of film. We've had a lot of film sessions. You know, he, kinda, he just absorbs uh, what you uh, uh, teach him or, you know, he wants to be coached. Uh, Sabonis is the same way, Miles Turner, you know, so – I've changed in the sense of, you know, they, I had that rep of old school uh, Nate and, you know, kind of this is the new school Nate. Really not much has changed in the sense of you, you, you coach them a little different. They're a little younger as uh, uh, the guys that came in the league. But, uh, you know, they learned, they, they learned it really the same way. You have to, you know, spend some time with them, uh, get in the video room with them uh, and, and, you know, coach them out on out on the floor. 
I mean, Nate, so what is it? I mean, you're, you always have the ultimate hammer with minutes, but you got to find a way to reach these guys, and all these guys are different. Generally, what is it that what motivates today's player? I mean, do they want to be great? Do they want to win? Do I mean, what is it? How do you motivate they them? Wanna, they do. They want to play. You know, these guys want to play, and I want you to play, but we can't play everybody. And, you know, one of the things is, uh, you know, when you're out on that floor uh, that you're playing the game the right way, you're giving – you're giving that team uh, what what we need. And, you know, it's not about, you know, as I've said, you know, many times before, it's not about that name on the front of the, on the back of the jersey. It's about that name on the front. And uh, that's what we're playing for. We're playing for and working for the Indiana Pacers. And, uh, you know, we're going to respect the game and play this game the right way. And if you do that and you play the game uh, with the effort that is required, you're going to get an opportunity to play. And our guys have, have done that. They've gotten an opportunity to play. We've allowed them to to you know go out there and play and, and, and enjoy the game. And we you know when uh, as they as as they put it you know when you're playing the game the right way, everybody gets a chance to eat as they as they say. So uh, our guys have done that, and it's been I think it's been fun for them, and they've uh, been rewarded with uh, having some success this season. Hey, Nate, watch this. Watch how I do this. Watch how I kind of go to the rack and you swap this one into the 10th row. All right, so now you're waiting to find out <laughs> who you're going to meet in the playoffs, whether it's Cleveland or Philadelphia. I know you're not going to tell me who you'd prefer to face, but would you rather face one over the other, whoever it is? Well, the thing about it is they're, they're going to be similar in the sense of uh, who we're facing. It's going to be two outstanding guards. And, you know, uh, Le- Le- LeBron, you know, you know, he's proven what he's all about. Uh, you know, this young kid, Ben Simmons, you know, two guys who uh, facilitate everything. You know, they, they are controlling, uh, you know, what their teams do. you got a 6'10 point guard in Ben Simmons. You're going to have, a, you know, 6'9", 250, 260 point forward in LeBron James. Uh, you know, both of those guys are doing similar things uh, out on the floor with the basketball. Uh, they're pretty much involved in everything that uh, they do on the offense. You know, these guys can score. They pass. They rebound. Uh, you know, basically, uh, they're the they're ahead of the snake. You know, for those groups. So the challenge is going to be very similar, of course, with with LeBron, his experience. Uh, you know, he. You know, you, you, this guy the last seven years have has uh, been in the finals, so he's really never lost a playoff series. You know, other than the finals, and uh, with that type of success, you know that's going to be a very difficult challenge. But you know, we'll face whoever uh, whoever uh, is put on the schedule uh, after tonight. We'll know about eleven o'clock tonight. And uh, our guys, you know, we should be ready and uh, looking forward to it. Good night now!